Now let's stand together tonight as we look in Genesis chapter 27. Finishing up a short series on the life of Isaac. This is the fifth and final message on Isaac's life, the child of promise. Genesis 27 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. And so Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. We'll continue on with that story in a few moments, but... For now, let's understand that we are reaching uh, the end of our consideration of Isaac's story, and I wish that the story had a happier ending. We remember how the story began with Isaac's miraculous birth. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, long past the age of parenting, and yet God miraculously restored them so that uh, Sarah conceived this child, Isaac. His name means laughter. We remember how he submitted to his father on Mount Moriah. How he was willing to lay down his life as a sacrifice. Remember how he took his wife, the beautiful Rebecca. How he interceded for her so that she would have children and conceived. We remember how that God blessed him and blessed him. And he grew not only in his stature and in the community, but also he grew in great wealth. But as it does for us all, the years go flying by for Isaac. And our text tonight finds him 137 years old. And feeling every bit of it. <laughs> 137. He began his life as a glorious picture of Jesus Christ. Never forget that. That... Uh, The seed of Abraham, you see, wasn't Isaac. The seed of Abraham was Jesus Christ. But Isaac was a portrayal of that, a picture of that. He began his life as a picture of Jesus Christ, but he's going to close out his life as a picture of a carnal believer. Dominated by his fleshly desires. Paul gave us a picture of what that means in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 when he said to the church at Corinth, for you're yet carnal. That means fleshly, dominated by the flesh and its desires and appetites, fleshly. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Envying, strife, divisions. Envying, strife, divisions. Envying, strife, and divisions. Three things. Any setting in life where you find those three things surfacing, you can rest assured that somebody's in the flesh. Maybe a lot of somebody's. In the the case of uh, of the Corinthians, of course, it was in the church. The church 
was very carnal and behaving carnally. How did Paul know that? He wasn't anywhere around them. He hadn't visited a single meeting. Not Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, not business meeting. Not a single meeting. And yet even he had heard that there was envying and strife and divisions among them. That is the obvious fruit of carnal living. Long before it was in the church, it was in a family. It was in Isaac's family and Rebecca's. Carnal living then stands in stark opposition to spiritual living. And this had probably been going on in the midst of this family for a long, long time. The scripture, though, gives it a simple expression in Isaac's story. In verse 28 of Genesis 25, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. It doesn't sound like much of a reason for Isaac to love Esau more than Jacob. And the scripture is completely, completely silent as to why Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau. We might understand it better if the Bible said that Isaac loved Esau because they hunted together or because they were in business together or because Esau was a spitting image of his dad. And yet there doesn't seem to be any indication of those things in Scripture. The only thing that it says, he loved Esau because he ate of his venison. That's it. Loving one son over another because of the food he was able to bring him. Back in chapter 24 and verse 67, the Bible told us that Isaac loved Rebekah. And here in our text then, we're told that Isaac loved Esau. And then in chapter 27 verse 3, now he's going to say, Make me that savory meat such as I love. Isaac loved Rebekah. Isaac loved Esau. Isaac loved venison. It's come to that. If you stop and think for that for a minute about Isaac's love for venison, for food, is it any wonder that his favorite son Esau then would say, sell his birthright for a bowl of beans, for a meal? The full-scale display, though, of the resentment and rivalry that was going on in this family of believers was probably behind the scenes for a while, but now it's out in the open. And I just want to remind you tonight that you can be a family, a household full of believers in Jesus Christ. And yet in all of us there resides the potential of all kinds of evil. And, and I've told you before, as I'll tell you again, what my good friend Chad Graves is fond of saying. He says, we're all just one step ahead of stupid. We're just one step away from stupid. I understand that. There is in all of us the potential for all kinds of evil. As we walk with the Lord... As we walk in the light of his word, as we walk in the spirit then, that is, produces a growing testimony in us of Jesus Christ and his grace. It shows how we are being fashioned and changed by his love into his image, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And yet it's possible, and it can be a quick trip, for our Christ-like behavior to be replaced by carnal self-indulgence. 
It doesn't happen usually with a great decision or a great event. It sometimes does. Most of the time it happens gradually as people drift away from God. In fact, the great passage in the New Testament uh, where Paul warned about the possibility of drifting away, drifting away. Drifting is slow and imperceptible. It produces a, a change that just slowly, drifting, drifting. Weeks lived without devotion to God, though, turn into months. Months turn into years. Over time, the characteristics that so prominently reveal Christ in us can be so faded as to almost not be seen at all. I want to be quick to say tonight that doesn't mean that we've lost our salvation. We'll talk more about that later. I'm not here tonight to tell you that Isaac, who began so nobly, ended up dying and going to hell. No, that's not Isaac's story. That's not your story. It's not mine. It's not the story of any believer in Christ. But Isaac is a warning of how far we can go. How we can walk nobly on those hills of glory with Jesus Christ and his love and displaying marvelous things, marvelous actions of faith. And then end up in life being described with a simple phrase, I love deer meat. I can sympathize with that. <laughs> I love deer meat too. I do. But it wasn't just that. It's his appetite that has obviously become the dominant force in Isaac's life so we'll look at the story tonight first of all we'll notice the dilemma the dilemma it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see he called Esau his older son and said to him my son and he answered here I am and then he said behold now I'm old do not know the day of my death uh, we can recognize the difficulty then that's come into this great champion's life. The Bible mentions the subject of his darkness. He was no longer able to see. But Isaac was suffering from a worse form of darkness. A darkness that descends on the soul when the joy and the enthusiasm and excitement and thrill of our relationship with God is, is gone. We don't lose our relationship with God, but we can lose the joy of it. That's why David, David of all people, David, man after God's own heart, David said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation, Psalm 51 and 12. Even David had lost the joy. And it is a, a dark, dark place then for any believer in Christ when they've lost the joy of their relationship with God. Isaac was there. He also mentions the subject of his death. Now, it might have been because his brother, half-brother, Ishmael, had died at the exact same age that Isaac had attained. And you have to admit that does get your attention. Uh, my grandfather died on one side, on my dad's side, died when he was 67. My grandfather on my mother's side uh, died even younger. Uh, Nancy's father died at about my age, I think. It begins to get in your mind a little bit. Uh, when you have siblings and close loved ones who maybe have died before you die. And there you are. Whatever though was causing it, Isaac was preoccupied with his death. Now let's just notice something tonight. 
Isaac would live another 43 years. Okay? 43 years. So the next time you begin to get preoccupied with feelings of your own mortality and thinking, I'm going to die, just remember, you might live another 40 years. How would you like that? Might better, we might have better all go on a diet and start exercising a little more. Going to the doctor a little more if I'm going to live that long. Need to take care of myself. Isaac was going to live another 43 years before he died. But when you put his failing health and advancing years, the loss of his eyesight, together with his obvious emotional and spiritual problems, then Isaac was probably suffering from depression. In his gloomy perspective then, he determines to do something. Let's be careful tonight. We can learn from this story. This is just kind of a little sideline. Learn from that story. That when we get down and depressed and discouraged, it makes us vulnerable. Remember, I've already told you tonight, we're all just one good step from stupid. But I'm going to tell you, it's, it's easy to lapse into doing stupid stuff. When you're feeling bad and you're discouraged and you're down. And you're depressed. In that gloomy perspective, he decided to do something. He decided to give the beloved Esau, his favorite, the blessing. Now, this wasn't just a God bless you kind of thing. No, the blessing in the Old Testament was ripe with spiritual and physical considerations. Isaac, like his father Abraham, became a prophet and was a spiritual leader for his family in that patriarchal age and for all of those who were with him. And for him to give that blessing then carried prophetic significance, what he was going to do then, what he would say, would carry with it the force of divine revelation. It was a big deal. To give the blessing. And unfortunately the blessing that Isaac planned to give to Esau. Was in direct contradiction to the clearly revealed truth of God. What God had already told him. You see God had spoke to Rebekah long before. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, he said, Two nations are in your womb. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. God had already determined that. The older Esau was going to serve the younger Jacob. God had already established that. And so what Isaac is doing in this passage discouraged, depressed, thinking about dying. But there it's almost with his last breath, he thinks he's going to come up with a way to pass on that prophetic blessing to Esau. Even though God clearly said it was his plan to give it to Jacob. It wasn't like it was ambiguous in what God said. The elder shall serve the younger. It's perhaps the most difficult part then 
of losing the joy of our salvation, allowing the darkness then to descend on our life and on our family, to end up living carnally. It, it causes us to end up ignoring the clear truth of God's Word in order to pursue what feels right or looks right or what we want. And while we can point a long finger at Esau, or, or at Isaac rather, for doing this, how could he do that? How could he ignore the clearly revealed Word of God and just do what he wanted instead? <laughs> oh, I've done that a time or two in my life. I suspect most of you have as well. And the times when we're most vulnerable to doing that is when we've allowed ourselves to drift away from God slowly but surely, almost imperceptibly, but eventually perceptibly, we begin to turn away from God's truth and begin doing just what we want instead. We end up dominated then by our fleshly appetites and we face then that dilemma the dilemma that comes between what we want and what God has told us to do, what we feel like doing and what God said to do. Then we notice the duplicity. Verse 9, and this remembers Rebecca, go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats and I'll make savory food from them for your father. You see, Esau wasn't the only one who knew how to make savory meat. Obviously, Rebecca did too. You go bring two kids, and I'll make savory food from them for your father such as he loathes. That's uh, two young goats, by the way, uh, just in case somebody doesn't, isn't familiar with the old English. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Yeah. And the story, of course, goes on. Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared in the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Obviously, we notice very quickly that Isaac isn't the only one in this family who was dominated by the flesh and who's moving selfishly. Uh, Rebecca has no respect for Isaac, and she is now perfectly willing to use all of her wiles to deceive him and see that Jacob, instead of Esau, gets the blessing. Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, God told her that Esau was not going to be the one that was blessed, that Esau was going to serve Jacob, the elder would serve the younger. And, and so she's just trying to help God do what he said he was going to do. Oh, yeah, there's another time that things just don't work out real well for us. Uh, when, God, when we set out to try to help God, well, God said this, and I've got to help him. That didn't work out good for Abraham and Sarah, and it's got, not going to work out well for Isaac and Rebekah either. Uh, it's just a completely carnal reaction to what she's got going on. You see, a faith reaction would have been to say, well, you know, since God has told her that the blessing would go to Jacob, we might expect her simply to pray to God and see God see what Isaac is doing. <laughs> 
After all, God is perfectly capable of seeing to it that Esau would never kill another deer as long as he lived. Amen. Especially since he hunted with a bow and arrow. You know how hard that is if you ever tried it. Instead, she sends him out to go kill a a goat instead of a deer. A, A young one, while the meat was cooking slowly so as to be tender, she carefully prepared the skins of the animals so they could be affixed to Jacob's arms and necks. neck. She puts the clothes of Esau and Jacob so that he would feel like Esau and smell like Esau. When he goes in to see his father, there is the enticing aroma of Isaac's beloved savory meat. He seemed to see instantly those suspicious of the whole scene, and rightly so. Jacob would lie to his daddy six times, six times, before the blessing would be provided. Uh, See, Jacob was pretty carnal, too. Six times. Isaac asked him who he was, and Jacob said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Lie number one and two. (laughs) He was not Esau, and he was not the firstborn. Jacob said, I have done what you told me to do. That was lie number three. He told Isaac to eat his game, but it wasn't game at all. It was goat. That's lie number four. When Isaac asked him how he managed to kill a deer so quickly, Jacob said, because the Lord brought it to me. What a nasty business this is when you start involving the Lord and bringing the Lord into it. Well, God bless me. Lie number five. Let me ask him one more time, are you my son Esau? Jacob answered, I am. Well, (laughs) Isaac was hungry. He was so preoccupied, I guess, with eating his beloved deer meat that whatever his reservations were, he threw to the wind and he gave Jacob his prophetic blessing. A blessing that would see to it that the Abrahamic covenant was passed through him. So that if what Isaac thought he was doing would have actually happened, then it would have been Esau. and, And Jesus would have been a descendant of Esau. That's how big a deal this is. But instead, it was Jacob... Verse 27, he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. And let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who blesses you. You see, Isaac was looking not just in his mind on Jacob because that was the only two that Rebekah had, but also on Jacob's sons. So that he he looked at all of of Jacob's family, all of his people who would come from him. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. There is absolutely no doubt that Isaac 
was trying to contradict the clearly revealed plan of God. Going exactly against what God had revealed to them. It's absolutely clear. Well, as soon as he had obtained the cherished blessing, Jacob left. And as soon as Jacob left, Esau entered. It didn't take them long to figure out that it was goat he had eaten instead of deer meat. And to understand the duplicity of Jacob and his mother. Now that Isaac's belly is full, his mind is working a little bit better. But isn't it interesting in the biblical narrative just to see how things turned out? Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. And he tried to buy the blessing for a bowl of stew. Isn't that interesting? Isaac loved Esau because he brought him dear me. Esau sold the birthright for a meal. Isaac is willing to give away the blessing for a meal. It really doesn't make much difference whether selling or buying. They were both willing to exchange this incredible prophetic and spiritual matter for a single meal. We need to let that sink in a minute. It's how far carnality goes. To satisfy my appetite... No matter what the cost, no matter what it does or who it does it to. Then we see the discipline. Verse 32, his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I had blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. Oh. As soon as he heard the voice of Esau, Isaac trembled. He knew what this meant. That God was perfectly aware of what he was trying to do. As soon as he heard the voice of Esau, he knew. His gig was up. God knew. God knew what he was trying to do. He knew that he was trying to move around his clearly revealed plan. And in an instant, his heart smote him so that he was filled with fear at the presence and power of God. His eyes were still blind, yes. But for a moment at least, that darkness would lift away from his soul. As his prophetic senses came back to him. Under the blessings of God, knowing fully well that he had been dealing with Jacob then, Isaac passed on the great significance of the moment. I have blessed him, and he will be blessed. And he was. He was. Esau began to cry. Cry out to Isaac, begging for the blessing. Don't think, though, that Esau was repenting. He wasn't. It was a cry of remorse and a cry of regret. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 tells us, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently and with tears. You see, there's a difference between regretting and repenting, and God knows it. The blessing went with the birthright. The Lord takes specific credit for the fact that Esau could not receive one because he had rejected the other. The birthright as the elder son would have enabled him to be the spiritual leader of his family and to take that rightful place. But Esau had no concern for that. None at all. He was a godless man, an immoral man, and there was no way then that God was going to fill his life with the blessings that he craved. It wasn't going to happen. And though Esau cried, he was also very angry. He responds in enraged, threatening to kill Jacob as soon as Isaac died. And remember, of course, now it's going to be 43 years before Isaac died. That's, that's a long time to carry a good grudge. 43 years. But he was certainly mad at the moment. He had sold the birthright for beans. He tried to buy the blessing with stew. And now he's determined to take it with force. It was a good way for him to receive, you see, both the blessing and the birthright. All that had to happen was for Jacob to die without believing children. And then the blessings would all come to him. I'm going to kill Jack, Jacob. Well, those words, of course, came to the quick ears of Rebecca. And when you read down through this passage, you can't help but be impressed at, at how quick her ears were. There just wasn't hardly anything going on in that tent that Rebecca didn't hear about. Well, there she is hearing what uh, Esau said. And she decided this would be a good time for Jacob to go visit with her kinfolk back in Padanaram and to stay a while with her brother the infamous uncle Laban. So chapter 28 begins then with the story. And this is where really Jacob's story begins and Isaac's ends. As far as a biblical narrative is concerned. He'll bring him back in a little bit later for his death and burial. But that's it. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Bananaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife. Notice, take yourself a wife. Just keep that in mind a moment. Take yourself a wife from there, the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Badanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. There he goes. You remember that Abraham sent his servant to obtain a wife for Isaac. You do remember that. You, you remember, of course, that he sent him away with a fortune. I mean, a fortune for a bride prize. A fortune. 
But if Isaac sent Jacob away with a nickel, the Bible doesn't record it. Didn't give him anything. And what did he tell him to do? Go there and obtain for yourself a wife. I'm not sure what Rebecca thought as she saw him walking away. Maybe she thought, well, Esau will cool off. You know, he's redheaded and hot-headed. He'll cool off about as quickly as he got mad, and we'll get him back. But no, Jacob took that task seriously. He was going to have to obtain for himself a wife. And you know the story. He'd worked 14 years, getting not one wife but two out of the deal. And then more. Rebecca would never see him again. She waved goodbye if she did that day. It's the last time she'd see her son. She'd die before he came back. Hmm. Well, there's a lot of life lessons in this story. Sometimes it's fun and sometimes we laugh and sometimes we say, ouch. Either way, there's a lot of great things to see. Remember 1 John 2.15? Let's put that one down for us tonight. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, We used to preach a sermon. I've, I've got it somewhere in my notes. It was on the life of Samson, but it could have just as easily been on the life of Isaac. It was titled, The High Cost of Low Living. The High Cost of Low Living. I can't uh, claim originality for it. There's been preachers, generations of preachers preach that. I wrote my own copy, but uh, I did like the title, The High Cost of Low Living. And I tell you, when we let the things of the world and our fleshly appetites and desires dominate us, it crowds the love of God out of us. And we can see in this text the disastrous consequences when the love of the Father is not the dominant force in us. We end up making decisions based on fleshly desires, based on what seems right or what feels right or what looks good or feels good. It's a good time for us to remember that genuine repentance is never rejected by God. But there is a difference between simple spiritual repentance, rather, and simple regret. And God knows the difference, and I think we do too. It's a good time to remember that carnal living is never isolated. It spreads. If we could look at it this way, it's like a spiritual disease. Carnality spreads. It spreads in a church. Let one person get in the flesh. <laughs> it's not going to be long till they're going to spread it. Uh, you get it in a family. Let, let somebody in the family get in the flesh. It's going to spread. It, it spreads, of course, like any illness, it spreads. Most rapidly around those that we're closest to and spend the most time around. It spreads in our family too. Here was Isaac who started out so gloriously in life. But ends up then so carnally. And raising up a boy, a couple, another boy, a wife. His whole family. Dominated by carnal thinking. I'm glad also to be able to tell you tonight that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And in spite of all their mess-ups, God got the people into the places where he needed them to be. 
Jacob ended up getting a blessing. Jacob ended up getting not one wife but two. That wasn't part of the plan necessarily, but God arranged for that too. And, and the tribe of Judah was formed exactly as God planned, as was all the other 12 tribes of Israel. God made of them a great nation. God's great plan of redemption went right on. In spite of the hiccups, in spite of the mess-ups, God's plan of redemption goes on. I'm glad I can stand here in 2022 at Faith Baptist Church in Cabot, Arkansas and tell you tonight that that's still the truth. In spite of our hiccups and in spite of our mess-ups, God's glorious plan of redemption just keeps going on. We can trust Him. He loves us. He has washed us. He's saved us with His own blood. He has a plan and a purpose for us, and that plan will be accomplished. Let's stand together, please.